Welcome back to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein, joined by Krishna Andavolu. Hey, Joshua. Our guest today is Amy Westervelt, a journalist and author whose new book is Forget Having It All, How America Messed Up Motherhood and How to Fix It. America's biggest problem is actually the thing that we talk about as our biggest strength, which is our like obsession with individual success. <laughs> Amy joins us to chat about the role that fathers play in this challenging parenting environment and what we can do as literally the people that caused the problem to help fix it. We're going to hear from Amy in a moment, but first I'd like to catch up with Krishna, who I haven't seen in a little while. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. What's been going on? Uh, a lot, a little. I mean, basic human suffering. Not as much, luckily. I'm doing sort of more tech and future-focused stories, which have their downsides, obviously, or rather the peril and dread of the sort of AI-empowered uh, apocalypse of human... The, the death of humanity, the death of humanities, the death of... Humanities. Yeah, enlightenment and reasoning no longer being the guiding force of our lives. You know, n- nothing... Man, it had its time, though. I mean, let's be honest. Well, I mean, you can probably interrogate those values as well. Uh, but no, it's been good because I can talk to my kid about the stories. I can talk to him about trucks. I can yeah. talk to him about uh, robots and, and rocket ships and stuff like What's that. What's his take on robots? Loves them. He, he yeah, he think one, once he had this sort of, you know, uh, waking dream fantasy where he was, he talks through it and he was talking about how like we'd get another we get a robot and the robot would be like sort of like papa and sort of like mama and then we get like a robot dog a robot leela the name of our dog and so he has a you know he has a a desire for robots to be around yeah and i think that desire is going to be fulfilled in time yeah i mean it can be his robot girlfriend maybe or robot dad yeah well or a robot boyfriend (laughs) i don't want to be presumptuous whatsoever well, in either case, like, so what I've been finding in my recent work life and the stuff that I've been covering recently is that it's much more easy to sort of communicate with him about what it's about, why I'm doing right. it, why I'm away, frankly. Uh, but Do you, your kid cares why you're away? No, he didn't before. Yeah. And maybe I find it like necessary to tell him why to justify it such that he doesn't just think of it as uh, the natural course of human events. On the other hand, the danger there is he's like, Dad, why are you away? Oh, I was researching robots. Robots are more important than me. Ah. Ah, yeah, it's like, hey, Dad, why are you away? I choose to be. <laughs> I need space. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, I choose to be, yes, because I choose, I'm lucky, lucky enough to sort of choose what I want to do, but for the most part. Which will interrogate with Amy. Yes, that's right. That's right. And Exactly. So in, in my mind... Where where I'm at as a as a father is I'm more able to share. He's more able. He's four, so he's just like this massive sponge, and he gets certain things that he didn't get before. Um, and he's curious about where I've been and what I've been doing. I will say that um, before I joined Fatherly, I was mostly a restaurant critic. Really? Yeah. Do you know that? I didn't. Yes, I was a restaurant critic for the New York Observer, mm-hmm. and then when they endorsed Trump, I quit. Yeah, I so made well, a big stink about it, and. Good for you. It was great. And I still write about food. I'm writing a couple of cookbooks now. And oh, cool. It's still like a big part of my life. But one of the things that after I had kids, 
um, I was out every night. I mean, that's what I did. And I couldn't share any of that with them because they don't care. Because hmm. fine dining is not something they really care about. Right. I will say that the first kid's book I wrote, uh, Can I Eat That, was an outgrowth of conversations I had with Achilles where he doesn't eat anything. So we would just fight about food. And I love food. It's a part of my, it was my profession at the time. Yeah, I think that's like dramatic irony or something right yes that. It, it was that <laughs> and every conversation we had was a fight so I wanted to create a book that was not about my telling him to eat something mm-hmm. or a lot of books are either like that or they're like fetch eat your vegetable vegetables are delicious whatever it was just like if I eat jelly and I eat fish can I eat jellyfish you know like kind of wordplay and just a, a chance to connect over them mm-hmm. now that I work at fatherly I have I'm in a similar situation as you where I can come home and I can talk to intelligently about the new Paw Patrol or yeah. uh or or even I think the thing that I value most is what I value most. We have a lot of parenting experts or whatever. I'm terrible at many things as a parent and one of them is discipline. Mm-hmm. And it was working at fatherly and understanding how discipline works and how to actually discipline your kid. Um it's ACT for anyone who cares. You acknowledge, you connect, and then you teach. Okay. So instead of just yelling, which is what I used to do, you say, Achilles, I can see that you're very upset that we're not going to eat uh, Indian food. Mm-hmm. Like the place is closed. Um, That's an acknowledgement. Yeah. I, I can tell that you're upset. I can see that you're very upset. I'm holding his hand or I'm looking in his eyes. So I'm connecting. Mm-hmm. But having but a tantrum isn't an appropriate reaction, and you know hitting Augie isn't an, an appropriate reaction. So like I acknowledge, I connect, and I teach. I think I learned something. Yes, this is. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked at Fatherly for two years. That was a thing. But the other aspect of it is that working at Fatherly, and I don't know if you feel this way in your own work, surrounding myself with the role as a father, like what it means to be a father. I'm a workaholic, so if I was writing about food, I'm out every night. It's all I think about. That's what I do. I cannibalize my personal life for my professional life. Finally, I found something to write about that that benefits my family as well, as opposed to just taking me out. Yeah. But being able to come home and talk to your kids about what you do in a way that they understand is really important. And and the curiosity is something that I think gives our relationship. Like we're actually both pretty curious people, so like we're we're finding something in common. Yeah. Which is nice. I love what I do, but I also work a lot, and it also has a lot of knock-on effects for family in terms of uncompensated labor by my wife and our own relationship, which is um, for another show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to Amy, because people have been thinking about how does motherhood and, by extension, fatherhood function in a society where, in order to survive... You in gotta the way make, I understand. You gotta make money. You gotta make money, and in order to make money, you have to work an inordinate number of hours. Right. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You have a new book called Forget Having It All, How America Messed Up Motherhood and How to Fix It, mm-hmm. which is out this November. Maybe you could put in your words, but it seems like the systemic challenges facing mothers and the pablum they've been force-fed and made to feel bad about, about having it all and leaning in. Yeah. I I describe it as like a historical look at how um, 
how America has always kind of conceived of the idea of mothers and like how those ideas impact what mothers get to do or not. But I feel like it could equally have been called How America Messed Up Parenthood because you guys are in there too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I think we wanted to talk about is how much of it also um, can apply to fathers and Krishna and I as Mm -hmm. dads, like what we can do to ameliorate the situation. Yeah, because it it feels like dads were just now sort of like almost recently have been full parents who are, you know, supposed to be emotionally uh, part of your kid's life. Right. Uh, That maybe wasn't the whole, that wasn't the case for quite some time, making it fall on the mother. Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day that I feel like um, that what's happening to dads right now, like, is is kind of what happened to moms in the 90s, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, but in the reverse, like, I don't know. And there's and there's so much more info out there um, and just chatter in general around um, mothers getting into the workplace, but not so much around fathers getting into parenthood. Um, and, you know, really, like, both parents have to manage and balance both things now. I think we're, I don't know, both both parents are expected to sort of be doing both things at a pretty high level. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't at all think it just applies to, to mothers. Although of course, like there's different things that apply to society's expectations of men and women in general. Yeah. I think like, I was just thinking about it today cause I have two sons, um, and the five-year-old Augie has pneumonia mm-hmm. or I don't know. That's what Tribeca Pediatrics says, but. Oh, I go to them too. Yeah. yeah right. They're always kind of like, he might have it or he might not. Let's just treat. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, you know, I had to take him to, he's been sick for the past couple of days. And like, um, the other day I had to take him to a meeting with my boss. Huh. Um, and I just plugged him in to, uh, play Toka Boca. I don't know if mm-hmm. your kid plays Toka Boca, mm-hmm. no, but not yet. they are like actually really great like games. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that, but only to make myself feel less guilty. Um, <laughs> so like he came to a meeting with me and it is true that my boss, yeah, I write, I write and work for a site called Fatherly, so he wouldn't be, like, right. way too hypocritical to call me out on it. But it was a little bit awkward. And then, you know, I skipped a bunch of meetings today to take him to the doctor. And and that was after a long period of fighting with my wife about, like, who misses what meetings. And, Krishna, right. I know you travel all the time. So yep. it's, it's the same for you. These are, these are struggles that I think every – unless – God bless them. I mean – the wealthy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but unless you have the means to to not think about this stuff, this is really rubber meets a road yeah. stuff of, of, okay, like you write in your book about uh, the patriarchy. Yeah. My favorite thing to dismantle. Mm-hmm. But it's like. Yeah, because it sucks for men I'm, too. I mean, it's not good for anybody. But like at what point. Do I say, okay, well, yeah, I think the patriarchy also sucks. Part of the patriarchy is I get paid more money per hour, Mm -hmm. pretty much, than you do. That's a systemic problem that needs to be addressed, Mm -hmm. right? But that plays out on the day-to-day of, okay, well, I can't miss this meeting. If I lose my job, we can't live. If you lose your job, it'll be terrible, but it'll be easier for us to live. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yes. Well, which is to say that the, the man oftentimes is the first earner yeah. and the woman, the mother, is the first parent. Mm-hmm. And so like that, that, those are roles that are 
the expected roles. Mm -hmm. Amy, Amy, can you take me through, and this is a stupid question maybe, but like how did that come to be? Like what's the history, I suppose, of how we've ended up in this conundrum? A lot of that is, I mean, you know, there's there's the sort of, you know, 200-year-ago history, which is that, you know, actually the really interesting thing to me when I was doing some of the historical research was that in the um, the sort of like Puritan days a couple hundred years ago, um, women were considered really like not up to the task of being the the primary parent um because hmm. they thought women were what a high opinion of women uh, yeah, yeah like yeah there was like the well women are yeah. weak-willed and like can't apply strict discipline so actually fathers were more involved in like the colonial days than um than maybe in like the 50s um because wow. yeah because they were considered really to be, like, in charge of everyone in the household's, like, spiritual well-being and general knowledge and ability to be productive citizens, including their wives. Like, they were in charge of their wives, too. But, um, but yeah. Um, and then also... But it was neater. Yeah. And then also, like, everyone was living a pretty, like, agrarian, you know, uh, life. So no one was really, like, leaving the house to work that much. Um, so there were... And then came the industrial... And then, then came the industrial revolution? Exactly. Then came the industrial revolution, and for the most part, it was men who left to go to work, and women were at home and became... That's kind of when you start to see this really, like, gendered division of labor come about. Um, <clears throat> and then, actually, like, the whole way our labor laws evolved kind of just reinforced this, too. So, like, there was... I think it was in the early 1900s to, to like 1915, 16 era. Somewhere in there, somewhere in there. The Industrial Revolution had begun, but, you know, it was, it was like <laughs> at its earliest days. Um, anyway, yeah, they, there, was a, there was like a big case in uh, Oregon where um, the, a judge ruled that um, women should have a limit to their workday. And this was a thing that actually, like, all the labor unions had been fighting for. They wanted to have the workday capped at 10 hours. But um, whenever the male-led unions would uh, propose this, it would always get struck down. And in this case, it was around um, women workers. And the women workers actually didn't want the shorter day. <laughs> Um, it was like their male counterparts that were suggesting it. And the judge ruled that women were um, a special class of worker and that they needed to conserve their energy towards not just childbearing, but like producing quality children. This was like an obsession throughout the early 1900s mm. was like diverting women's energies from childbearing would result in like low quality children. Um, so anyway, yeah. So this protective labor law came into being and, um, you know, ostensibly to protect women and especially mothers. But actually what it did was allow companies to pay women less. Um, hmm. because they were going to work less. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. Can I jump in just to yeah. note something that makes me feel like profoundly uneasy? Yes. It almost seems that the, the equality that was, was being fought for was the equality to be equally ex- to be equally exploited, <laughs> yes, you know, like it was, it was, which is so messed up. But this is what happens. Yes, in that's capitalism. that's very fucked up. Yes, yeah, 
Yeah, it was. Actually, there's like a whole, that's a whole other tangle to the whole like capitalism, patriarchy, not is, is an interesting one. I mean, for me, that's the one that I feel totally caught up in. Mm-hmm. Like that, to me, I'm trying to raise good kids who have opportunity and I'm trying to provide for them. Mm-hmm. And that is, a th- and, and there's no way that I feel like I can do it without playing into this systemic inequality. And yeah. worst, although worse for my wife, for sure, but worse as well for the victimizer mm-hmm. is that I am part of that patriarch. I am perpetuating the system that I don't want to perpetuate. And right. it's like, okay, but how, how do I get out of there? Right. Like, how do you just push pause when, like, that's the system that governs everything, you know? And I mean, I think, honestly, like, the answer is that um, it's very long and slow change. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or and also, fast I mean, revolution. What, what, yeah. <laughs> if I can be sort of the unwoke yeah. dude in the womb, just for a second. I said womb. Did you hear that? I meant room, in but I womb. said womb. The un, <laughs> if I can be the unwoke guy in... The, yeah, exactly. I just, I couldn't even do it, right? But, okay, so the, the idea of biology as uh, yes. a determin- that determines relationships in some fashion, of course, uh, a, a woman births the child. Uh-huh. Of course, a woman has the biology to feed a child right. for its first few months. So, you know, I can uncouple biology and social structures mm-hmm. in my mind because I went, someone told me about it once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's do it right now. Um, but, I mean, you know, at what point... Like, where was sort of the biological, the understanding of what sort of the human body was, how reproduction yeah. happened, what, you know, where was the science, and, and was science used as a way to undergird these sort of structural problems? Tell me all about that, because, like, that's the part where I still have, there's, like, a little piece of me that's like, yeah, well, yeah you know, well, women yeah. have the and babies, see, so. Well, that's the thing, is, like, I don't think, I, this is where I feel like um, feminism has jumped the shark in some ways, too, is that, like, we don't have to deny how women's bodies work in order to create um, more equality or or a more egalitarian society. Like, um, I think that's ridiculous. Although, like, on the, I think we just need to sort of, like, be careful about how we do it. So I'll give you an example. I have a, um, a guy that I interviewed for the book about um, who's, who's done a lot of, like, thinking and work around how to craft uh, parental leave policies that don't automatically disadvantage women because the tendency is to say, oh, let's give moms more time off because they need it. And therefore, they just become inherently more expensive and less reliable from a workplace perspective, right? So, like, it just feeds into this ability to pay them less and, you know, all of that. Which is correct. Right. Which is correct. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's correct in the system. If you follow the logic of the system of capitalism, there's no way around that. No, there's no way. Exactly. So, so his take is like, okay, what you have to do is like you give equal leave, but you, you split it up differently. So like the woman, like the mother takes off a longer period of time um, like following the birth because she physically has to recover from childbirth. And then you do um, sort of an even split between moms and dads over the next 12 months. And he has like various ideas about who pays for that and whatever. But the but like the main thrust for him is like, you know, you provide equal leave so that neither parent is, you know, necessarily like more expensive to the company. But you also do it in a way that requires that both parents have stints of solo parenting. So both parents like really get to know 
like the deal. Because otherwise, like I talked to this one woman who, you know, she had worked at a law firm. They had great maternity leave. She took off six months for each of her kids and her husband took off a week. So she's like, so of Hmm. course, like I'm going to be the person who knows the nap schedule and how like what the kid likes to eat and like all that stuff. Um, Yeah, which is a labor. It's a a knowledge base and it's also a labor. It's work. It's actual labor. Yes. Yes. And that's the other thing, too, is that like this idea that's kind of cropped up a few times over history of um, how you compensate for that labor. Because we do this thing where we constantly Hmm. say that that has value and then we don't actually attribute value to it in any way. Um, right. <laughs> we say it, but like, you know, even in, even when we outsource that labor, it's underpaid, you know, like, yep. so, um, so at the same time that, that was like society and the government and everything else is constantly going on about family values. And, you know, Paul Ryan is wringing his hands about the birth rate, like every month. Um, we don't actually, we don't actually like do anything to show that that has value or to support it in a way that, that would make it seem valuable, which, which like relates to the gender thing too, because like, why would someone who is getting highly valued in this one sphere, uh, volunteer to be undervalued in this other sphere? <laughs> you know, like who would I mean, do it's that? basically that there's no, there's no constituency or non-gross lobbying group for the child right. and for families. Right. Mm-hmm. The idea that is that there's no lobbying group or that's not gross and ideological for the health of the child and the family. And yes. We assume, of course, that two parents sharing the burden as a two-parent household, understanding that raising a child is, is a work that needs to be shared economically equally between parents. Yeah. Is there any data that, that sort of supports that that is actually better for the child? Yes, there is, actually. Like, okay. There's a ton cool. of... Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank God. There is. There is. Yeah, there's a ton of data around, um, around like, how... I mean, it's unfortunate, because, and I'm, I'm not trying to, um, to you know, slam single parents by any stretch, because, I, like, I mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's incredibly hard, but there's a bunch of data around just like poor, like worse outcomes on every metric for children of single parents which is not to say that like you know if you have like an abusive partnership that's better than being a single parent or if you have, you know like sure. of course like there's also a bunch of data around kids growing up in homes where like the the two parents are problematic and like all the the issues that that causes you know but but yeah there there are there are a lot of studies out there that back up that you know kids that have and it's really just like having more involvement this is a thing I get into in the book too is like it doesn't actually have to be two biological parents it just has to be like two or more adults who are involved in the well-being of that child and like Hmm. that's a thing I think that we should think more about because you know like a lot there's like I think it's more than 30 percent of families are single parent families and we're we do not support them in any way what is your um life situation um, okay, so I had this very interesting period of time where where I was actually the um, the primary breadwinner, and my my husband and I like actually switched that. So like when my first kid was born, he was the primary breadwinner. I like took some time off and then went back to work, but my income was definitely not like the income that was necessary to survival. And then uh, when I got pregnant with my second kid, which was like a huge oops. Um, because my husband was not working and like I, uh, he was trying to start a company, you know? And so 
I was the startup. Yeah, I was a startup. Yeah. And so I was like the the sole breadwinner and I'm self-employed. So I had no maternity leave. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did. I like I took an afternoon off to have a kid. Most of the people that I worked with didn't even know I was pregnant. Um, wow. And and you were saying that that was one of the the origins of this book because you realized, wait, yes. why am I fucking proud of this? Yes, I was. Why I found myself. That... Yes, I found myself feeling like kind of like I'm a badass, and then I was like, gross. Like, what? <laughs> what is this feeling? Um, so yeah, like there's nothing. Well, I wouldn't distrust that feeling entirely, right? You were a badass. Yeah. Yeah, but a badass for a, for an exploitative system, right? Sure. That exactly. strips people of their humanity. But so here's the thing. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm going to come in and sort of with a bit of bi- uh, biographical information for me. Like I, yeah. I travel all the time, and I have uh, a four year old, mm-hmm. and as we speak. My wife is feeding my four-year-old and will put him to bed this evening, and then I'll come home after a day's work, and, you know, that's that. When my wife and I got together, we were, you know, fresh out of college. Mm-hmm. As we sort of uh, got married and decided to have kids, I was basically a stay-at-home writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started covering stuff uh, on in the field. Mm-hmm. And so that started working, and without having a conversation, it was it became ossified into our routines that I was right. the one who was gone yeah. and she was the one who had to hold on to everything yeah. and hold it together. And, and trust me, it had like, we're like processing through that decision a lot these days. Yeah. But we didn't make a firm, we didn't make any conscious commitment yeah. to make like replicating the the structures of yeah. patriarchy and, and whatever, but we just fell into it. Right. And like, that's the, the crux, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're offered these models Yes. And then you end up doing them. Yeah. And so, like, where is, you know, how do you intervene? Like, where, totally. where is the intervention? Okay, is it so, a contract yeah. before you have a kid? Is it, like, kind you know, of. I, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is, like, there's all these. So I, I find that, like, we we do all these things because it's sort of custom and routine. And then, um, and then when you suggest, like, doing something like, you know, having a really detailed conversation about it and writing up a contract or whatever like that sounds insane you know like it sounds silly and it sounds ridiculous and it sounds just like over the top but you kind of have to do those things to do something really really different so like i i surveyed Mm -hmm. um 200 different parents all different backgrounds like socioeconomic backgrounds racial ethnic backgrounds religious backgrounds everything and i asked them all um whether they had talked just talked about how they would divide labor in the home once they had a kid and like, you know, what that what that labor might look like and how they would divide it. And like 87 percent either said not at all or not really. <laughs> so so I'm like, OK, I'm surprised that 13 percent even talked about it. Like, I know that, that you know. I know. But yeah. And I, I mean, it's the same. Like my husband, I think like a week before I went into labor, my husband was sort of like, uh, like sort of jokingly was like, I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but I sort of just assumed that like you'd stay home with the baby for a while, you know, and I think that's how most couples do it, you know. But then there were so many things that could have been avoided from even just like a one hour conversation um, about it. And the danger is the danger, I think. Yeah. I mean, and this is from my experience in my like I'm in the same boat as Krishna. I'm going to walk home and my wife will have taken care of the kids mm-hmm. except for the Augie's doctor appointment today, which mm-hmm. I took care of. Yeah. Um, nice, nice yeah. work. Dude. I mean, I, don't, I don't even want to be congratulated because it's part of my duty and I'm not looking for, you know. It was a facetious congratulations. Fa- well, thank you. 
<laughs> anyway, but I'm going to, like, just to say, it's a very live and fluid situation in my house. This is uh, an issue which is litigated on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. hour-to-hour basis, mm-hmm. and um, with no small amount of bitter recrimination and tears. Yeah. Yep. So it's... The issue with talking about it a little bit is it's so on its face unjust. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're mindful of how unjust it is, uh, action is demanded. And if you don't make that action, if you don't take that action, which actually has pretty big effects on your life and yes. feels dramatic, especially as a man, especially as part of the patriarchy, yeah. um, as, 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 I'm the one who feels entitled and feels like what I'm entitled to is being asked of me yeah, to be taken away from me. Yep. Yes. And yeah. look, I know this is off topic, but uh, like we all watch Brett Kavanaugh, right? Yes. Like, who? I'm sorry. Who is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know who he is. Right? Like, I know. like that anger at being questioned or asked sure. or to, to recognize your own privilege yes. as, as, Big as my WNYC tote and my New Yorker tote bags are, <laughs> and no matter how many female candidates I like support, and like I'm doing this fucking podcast about dismantling, whatever, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Wait, I'm sorry, this podcast is about dismantling the patriarchy. No, no, it's just about oh. the patriarchy. It's, no, no, don't worry about it, Christian. Shit. It's about biological essentialism. Yeah, that's um, right. Biology is destiny. I'm joking, um, I'm joking. All of that stuff. When the rubber hits the road and I have to make the decision, like, am I going to tell Andrew Berman, my boss, who's listening to this now, dude, I'm sorry, I can't come to work today. Augie's sick. Yeah. I can't do this meeting. Look, I'm a journalist. We're all journalists. Uh, as journalists, you know, you don't set up all your meetings. It's not like you are in the position of power with the source or you're right. in a position of power with the PR firm or right. whatever. Right. You are at their mercy. And at the same time, none of that absolves you from the fact that you are recreating these dynamics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, talk about it for an hour. But if, once that gets raised, once that spark of change is out, mm-hmm. you can't put it away. And, and I think that's been my struggle throughout having, you know, through, I have a five, I have a six and wait, I have a five and six year old. You got to get that straight. No, no, these are six. obviously <laughs> fake kids. Is this real? Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm actually 14. <laughs> Um, but you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. Yeah. That's been the struggle is I, uh, Christian, you said something that made me think. It's like, with my muscles, I'm trying to dismantle the patriarchy. With my bones, I'm supporting it. Mm. And Mm. it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I want to say this carefully, but do I welcome, no, I'll say very honestly, I don't welcome the potentiality of having to put my career on the shelf. Right. You know, like that, it sounds kind of cool in a sense, but like, you know, I took a maybe between after the last season of Weedicate, I took a little time where I wasn't traveling and I was itching, baby. You know, like I was, I was doing father stuff. I was having the best time with my kid, mm-hmm. but like I, I sort of, I was itching. Yeah. And so like there's, you know, and then, and then, oh, here's the other part that was that kind of a uh, self-negotiation where I was like, well, this itch this uh, desire to always go and do to the expense of the family and, the, and, and my partner mm-hmm. will be a good example that I'm showing my son because it shows that like I'm passionate about this thing oh. and it is yes I tell you know, myself and so, like, lies successful yes. lies successful parents tell themselves yeah, well sure but yes. I mean 
I don't know if I'm exactly wrong. That's the part. No, but I think you no, can tell me I'm wrong. No, no, I'm in, yeah. I'm I'm in the same boat as you, but I also recognize, and I will then be creating little me's. And I mm. honestly think the last thing the world needs is more JDS in it. You know what I mean? Like I don't, <laughs> they don't need more little entitled dudes thinking, well, I want it, and I'm good at it, and I'm passionate, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, but fuck everyone. <laughs> Um, Amy, but I did want to um, bring something up. You know, yeah. a, of your work in the past, you uh, formed Climate Confidential, yes. which is a uh, collective collective of uh, six female journalists mm-hmm. writing about uh, climate issues. How do you think that that sort of systems thinking, which is part of c- climate, mm-hmm. a f- what of that did you bring to writing about motherhood. Yeah, yeah. I actually, like, I've had this kind of obsession for a long time about, like, my my theory is that America's biggest problem is actually the thing that we talk about as our biggest strength, which is our, like, obsession with individual success. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's done really great things, but I think a lot of this, I see a lot of the problems that we're grappling with now as being the sort of ultimate end of, of putting the individual above the common good, um, which is our default. Like, that's what we do all the time. Um, and so I think that was part of it. I was like, how do we shift this from, mm-hmm. you know, what any one particular parent is dealing with to thinking about, like, how the system works and how we might be able to change the system? I did this, like, like, uh, this incredibly nerdy and weird thing with my husband where we like, um, we did like a data project for a year <laughs> where, and I, as I'm saying this, hmm. I can't believe I didn't include this in the book because it's totally, I didn't know we were doing bedroom talk. <laughs> I know. It was data. Um, <laughs> I love it when you call me data. <laughs> call me data. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, we he, hot data sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were nailed like, it. We were, nailed like, it. Come on, we were literally. Wait, wait, can we have an air horn? Do we have an air <laughs> horn? <laughs> Jamaican air horn, come on. Um, so yeah, we did this whole thing where we we tracked like how much time we were each spending doing different things, and and then we tracked like how much money we were spending on different things, and we also. Um, kind of tried to correlate that with like overall life satisfaction, right? So we it was actually super helpful because it was like we were able to take the emotion and like entitlement out of a lot of conversations um, because it was like, okay, clearly like I'm doing 10 times as many as much housework as you, you know? So like, you know, he would sort of be like, Mm -hmm. okay, like I'll do the laundry, you know? Was this on like a Google Drive? Well, it's funny because I've been doing this in my head my entire relationship (laughs) and getting mad about it. Yes, it was a Google Sheet. And we also had like a giant whiteboard in our room. Um, But your bedroom? In our bedroom. Yes, yes. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) Thank you, Max. Yeah, we keep scoring the bedroom, too. (laughs) (laughs) A whiteboard in the bedroom with all your data sets on it. No, yes. We did. We did. Um, but it was it was actually really it was helpful because it sort of I don't know it gave us a way to have like more of a like systems approach to our own lives and it forced us to do this thing which I feel like people just don't do which is to actually like pause and evaluate your life and make decisions like we don't make decisions we just like let our lives happen to us so often and as like extremely privileged people, all three of us, I will say, like we have the luxury of making decisions. Uh, we should take that opportunity whenever we can. 
and not just be like, oh, oops, here I am in this position again. You know, like. Amy, yeah. this sounds like an app yeah. to me. Like, you know, there's like Mint or other things for like personal finance. You know what? Stuff. We actually, that, that was the startup that my husband ah! <laughs> And there's why you have a second child now. <laughs> Wonderful. And what's it called? It's still, it never really like, it never really got off the ground, but I still, I still think it could like be a data thing sets. at some point because. <laughs> Big yeah. data. What was it called? Yes. Big data. <laughs> it was called gung ho. Because it was uh, the whole like process that we lived or the whole process that we used was uh, taken from my husband worked in the automotive industry. In I Japan, love that movie. So was, that like, is my like favorite movie. It's like the movie, movie. gung ho. <laughs> Yes. I was literally <laughs> talking about the movie today. Amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It's really good. Here's another brief word from our sponsors. What was the thing that jumped out at you from that exp- from that year of analytical thinking? Well, we actually, we like radically changed our lives. We know, we, we realized that like, um, we were living in the Bay area at the time, which is a very expensive place. And we realized that to have more equity in our marriage and to be able to like kind of pursue some of the stuff that we wanted to both of us work-wise, we had to cut our living expenses by like 50% or more. And so Hmm. we uh, sold our house. My husband quit his job and we moved to like a small mountain town that was like, (laughs) like in California, in California. Yeah. That was like much less expensive, but like close enough to everything that we could sort of maintain a lot of the same uh, income that we Mm -hmm. had. Um, But like reduce, we reduced our cost of living by like 60%. That enabled us to actually like, you know, like he like we would trade off working fewer hours week to week so that we could take turns with the the kid stuff and we were able to sort of like i don't know like both of us travel for work but we would do it you know we would kind of like seesaw back and forth and um and we've kind of done that like over long stretches of time too like he was really kind of the primary parent for a couple of years and now i'm more the pri- the primary parent so i'm like working slightly less but but still, like, able to pursue enough things that I don't feel like I'm, you know, mm. I don't feel that, like, that itch to do other stuff. Although definitely sometimes, like, especially as a journalist, I feel like, I don't know, like, every week there's some fellowship that, like, comes my way that I'm like, oh, man, if only, like, if only they offered childcare in addition to, like, lodging and travel expenses or whatever. Yeah, for my for my I do the I do the same thing, but I'm not at the fellowship level. I'm more at the like, oh my God, this is a great story. I should yes. pitch it. And then thinking, okay, well that's one more deadline yeah. and like four more hours I'll be away mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah for for a for a little while I was thinking of maybe trying to pitch a show where like I li- I like wear my son in the ergo on my backpack like on my back yeah. through the show and like that's kind of you know, I don't That's it. fathering yeah. around the world. Who knows? But yeah. like, uh, yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah. Well, yeah, good. So that we got one. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you in? <laughs> um, what I that your whiteboard experiment um, is endlessly interesting to me. One of the questions I have about it is: Did you and your husband have similar happiness levels? Ah. Uh, No, actually, I feel like there were times where and also this is a funny one. Like, so 
we had a scale, right, of like one to 10 for the happiness level. And then we had little like descriptors for why. And one of the descriptors, because it had to fit in like a Google Doc, one of the descriptors was relationship bad feeling. <laughs> relationship bad feeling. <laughs> so the scale wasn't good feeling, it was bad feeling. Yeah. That's the normal. Yeah. I, get, I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, oh. and so. <laughs> It sounds like a translation from a German no, word. No, it's so yeah. funny. I was like, we both speak English as our first language. Why is this like, why is this here? But um, but anyway, yeah. And so that became a thing too, where it's like, you know, I was consistently posting like low scores because of relationship bad feeling. And he was like, he would have like a low score related to work, you know? <laughs> and, mm. and so, but actually like then that prompted some conversations about like why I was having so many bad feelings about this relationship. And like, you know, it was mostly mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know. It was mostly this like expectation that, you know, I would always be the lead parent. Um, and, and like the person that um, knows all the doctor's numbers and like all the little extra things that, you know. Amy, did, did you have that that um, expectation of yourself that you would be the lead parent? Is that something you like wanted no. going in or is that something that ended no. up being foisted upon yeah, you? Yeah, no, not really. I, um, I, hmm. I was sort of like ambivalent about having children, actually, which I'm sure played into some of it, too. I was sort of like you know, I'm good either way. <laughs> so, which I think I'm like, I'm always envious of the people that like really hardcore knew um, before they went into having mm-hmm. kids that, you know, that they definitely wanted to do it. And like, you know, I think mostly for me also, I just didn't have any idea what it would be like. So it was hard to know really like one way or the other, what, what role I would take on and, and all of that. Um, that's actually another thing thing that I'm suggesting in the book is that like we um is that we uh, I don't know like that we basically do like a better job of like family planning but like more realistically you know like we talk to people about like like what kind of family do you want if you want any at all what kind of like adult life do you want and what does it take to support that right. you know because right now it's like we barely have sex ed and if we do, it's mostly like the mechanics of sex and like how to not get pregnant or not get an STD. We don't actually, you know, to your point earlier about like, you know, supporting families and actually thinking about like advocating for the health of children and families. Like we we don't. That's why we need a matriarchal That's dictatorship. Right. Yeah, like a, a philosopher. I queen. wanted to call my book Rise of the Matriarchy, and the salespeople were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> They were wrong. They were. (laughs) Were they? (laughs) Well, I mean, not that forget having it all is is. uh, Actually, that's pretty good too, isn't it? It's good, although it makes me wonder. Like, what do you remember? Like, okay, forget that, and then what do you replace it with? I think you replace it with, you know, rise up, matriarchs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I don't know. To me, the whole having it all thing again kind of goes to that individual thing right it's like one actually like one person can't do it all um like, you just can't but but it takes a it village takes was a taken. village yes it's true damn it hillary <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um well a- amy thank you so much for uh chatting with us and being our first guest on uh season three of the fatherly yeah, podcast the me. book is forget having it all the subtitle is also good how america messed up motherhood and how to fix it and you should buy it yes. everywhere all the time 
I'm your host, Joshua David Stein, joined by my co-host and friend, Krishna Andavolu. As always, if you have any questions about the podcast or about being a dad, please don't hesitate to reach out via the hotline at 732-416-4571. That's 732-416-4571. And if you like what you heard, subscribe to the Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio. This podcast was produced by Max Savage Levinson and me, Joshua David Stein. It was engineered by Diko Shatorma. Our executive producer is Andrew Berman. See you next time when magician Alan Kronzik, as well as Professor Barnett Kelman, he's literally a doctor of comedy, explain to me why exactly my kids don't think I'm funny and how I can change that. Thanks for listening. Stay cool, dads. Trying it out. Still going to keep on saying that. <laughs>